You're listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, your host, and with me today is Professor Michelle Goodwin, visiting professor of law at the University of Chicago, the Everett Fraser Professor of Law at the University of Minnesota, with a joint appointment in the Medical School and the School of Public Health, University of Minnesota. She's also the author of the 2006 book, Black Markets, The Supply and Demand of Body Parts. Thank you very much for joining us, Professor. Thank you so much for having me on your show. To begin with, Professor, how can we respond to the problem that exists in our country with the growing waiting list on people waiting for transplants? It's now over five years for the 100,000 people who are on the list. 50% will die before they ever get their transplant. 18 are dying every day. And the unusual 40% representation of Afro-Americans on this list. It's a tragic story, really, and it's not fiction. This is a reality that, in fact, only promises to, in fact, be more startling and get worse over time. Dr. Benjamin Hippen, who works with UNOS and has been trying to push internally for change, estimates that by the year 2010, the wait time will be 10 years on our transplant wait list. And we know that Americans just simply won't survive. No one would that long on these transplant lists. So it's, it's a very grim and bleak future ahead if we don't do something now to, in fact, resolve these issues. And you mentioned African Americans and concern for them. And I think that you're right on, you know, one would think that given the dynamics of the wait list that we would have addressed this issue earlier, not simply because they're African Americans, but if we could point out at any given time that there seems to be a particular group who is more significantly and severely impacted by a particular condition, and it's a condition in which we have developed policies around, then I think it would behoove us to address that. So if we were to think about what this has meant over time for African Americans, it's been very curious. In the 1970s, Richard Titmuss wrote a book called The Gift Relationship, and it was from that book that policymakers began to seriously scrutinize whether incentives should ever be involved in anything involving the body, and and Titmuss was adamantly opposed to there being any kinds of incentives associated with the human body. But most people didn't read directly the lines, I mean, maybe it's because, in fact, they were so shocking in his book, or between the lines. When Titmus was talking about no incentives, he directly refers to black people. He refers to, to them as the Negroes standing in line to be paid for donating blood. He calls them the skid row of society, and he says that these skid row people would undermine the blood donation system by infecting it. Well, gosh, it seems to me that it's beyond subtlety, the race concerns there and connecting black people with somehow naturally infecting the human blood supply. And what we know is that Titmus was wrong. We know that Titmus was wrong for a few reasons. One was that poverty has nothing to do with the health of one's blood at all. Two, Titmus presumed that the people who would be wealthy people would necessarily be healthier than people who were poor. Three, during the AIDS crisis in the United States, we saw wealthy gay white men 
donating into the human blood supply here in the United States and abroad, and we saw the blood supply being tarnished, damaged, if you will, infected by those who were not aware of their HIV status infecting the blood supply. So I think that there have been false connections that have been made over time that are important to recognize and then move beyond. African Americans on the wait list, you know, part of the problem that we have, we don't even know the number of African Americans who actually are fully in need of organs because many never make the wait list. There have been studies conducted by myself and and others that suggest that there are African Americans who are not referred on to transplant wait lists. New York Daily News in 1999 did a study about this in New York City, finding that there were blacks and Latinos in the city who definitely would have qualified to be placed on a wait list but had not been referred onto a list until they were at their second or their third or even fourth doctor who said, my goodness, why aren't you on a transplant wait list? And these people said, my goodness, we didn't know that I should be on a transplant wait list. So there's that lack of information that's there. Not all of this is nefarious by any means with doctors. Part of it is the rationing. The reason why, in fact, doctors have to refer patients onto the list in part is because we don't have enough organs coming into the supply pool to meet the needs of everyone who would deserve to be on the list. So we ration. We only put so many people on the list. And each year we take so many people off the list. And we don't take them off simply because they've died in in the year in between, but we take them off because we know that we need to keep moving the list along. They've become either too sick or by our standards, too old, and we move them off. And this has had a tremendous impact on African Americans. Some people, you know, ask, well, why is it that African Americans make up such a considerable number on the list, even if that's not including those who are simply on dialysis and not referred? A lot of it has to do with diabetes, higher incidences of diabetes in African American communities, hypertension, stress the conditions under which they live. Lori Abrams, in a very compelling book called Mama Might Be Better Off Dead, uh, Lori was a, a reporter, and after doing a couple of medical reports, she came across a family and thought, well, gee, wouldn't it be interesting to follow this family and report on what their lives are like over a two-year period? What she found most profound was their interactions in the medical sphere, but how they lived. You know, it was difficult sometimes to make appointments because the buses didn't run on time in their communities. And so many other issues that she called sociomas, right, that that you have people who are living in compromised situations, and those compromised situations often impact their health. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and I'm speaking with Professor Michelle Goodwin, visiting professor of law at the University of Chicago and the Everett Fraser Professor of Law at the University of Minnesota. And we're discussing in particular the disproportionate number of Afro-Americans waiting for transplants. What's the cause and what is the solution? Do you think by incentivizing possibly the black community or other minority communities, this would lead to an influx of more organs for this particular group? I certainly think so. I mean, if, if we were to recognize that in some ways African-Americans are the canaries in the coal mine for these situations, 
if we were to imagine that, see it for what it is, then we might, in fact, craft solutions to this larger problem that would benefit everyone, not just African Americans. For example, I think if we took this to a very localized measure, we know that African Americans are still very much committed to their religious institutions. What about if, in fact, we allowed for systems where people could more directly donate amongst themselves within their own communities? In some ways, you can do that, but the language of the National Organ Transplant Act is so incredibly broad in terms of what it prohibits, this sort of valuable consideration, that many have wondered, well, whether or not churches, let's say, could even legally get away with just having their own kind of intra-familial, intra-church kind of process that, look, we'll keep our organs amongst ourselves. When someone needs an organ in this community, we'll give an organ to them right here within this church. Some people have said, well, that's an incredibly racist idea, and that, you know, they've imagined that, well, what if someone with a, with a Ku Klux Klan did this? And I've suggested that, well, who'd want an organ from a member of the Ku Klux Klan anyway? Like, or what black person would be sort of breaking down the door to get that organ? Probably not many. Also, if we think about incentives for organs and what this might mean in African-American communities, uh, some have said, well, you know, that would be akin to slavery, and it would diminish the personhood of African-Americans. And I think that those are really false connections, the kind of false connections that really undermine what we know in terms of the horrible institution of slavery, where, in fact, people were not compensated for the labor that they provided. It's a very cruel system that did not provide for any kind of autonomy, any kind of free choice, any kind of free decision-making. And in a system where we provide the opportunity for people to receive incentives, this is all by choice. No one has to participate. No one's forced to give up an organ at all. But it is that if someone can imagine him or herself as being that generous as to give an organ, that we will allow that person to, in fact, be made whole by a loss or to be made better by having donated and, you know, I think it's unfortunate that we have stopped right at the front door of this, and we've, in fact, been incredibly paternalistic, suggesting that somehow this would damage the psyche of African Americans, that somehow, at the other extreme, that African Americans would be so irresponsible with whatever financially they might receive, that it wouldn't be worth them being paid at all. And I think that those are really simply distasteful arguments that, that often come into this sphere, and they undermine the possibility of choice. And I think what we want is more choice, not less, for African Americans, because if anything, we certainly knew that during the time of slavery, and even later during Jim Crow era in the United States, those were not times where African Americans were vested with independence, autonomy, and choice. And what could be better than having fully informed people deciding how they want to contribute to our transplant system? They can do it altruistically, or they should be able to do it with an incentive, and I don't see any problem with that. In your book, you really make a point for moving from this paternalistic model to a question of dealing with this issue as social justice. I think that's what you're saying right now. That's absolutely it. This is a matter of social justice, and I think that we're able to achieve social justice 
when we allow African Americans, when African Americans are vested in the same kinds of rights and opportunities as others. And it's, it's an interesting irony that the very paternalistic arguments that are made for keeping African Americans outside of compensated donation systems are not made when it comes to educated young white men and women who are at colleges and universities who are regularly sought after for their genetic materials. I want to thank Professor Michelle Goodwin, who's been our guest today, and we've been discussing how to improve the system that provides organ donation in the United States and save lives. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. For questions and comments, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com or visit us at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.